0: remember I was going to lunch. I had appointments in the morning. I was typically meeting with four to five clients a day. And I went to lunch on my lunch break. I come back and the market had dropped so quickly, so significantly that they had halted trading. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, what the heck is going on? I just went out to go to lunch and now I'm coming back and this is happening.
1: Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. To join our community, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and receive five free benefits. First, you get the risk reduction checklist I've created from the lessons I've learned from all of my guests. And ladies and gentlemen, that's gold right there. But you also get my weekly email to help you increase your investment return. Third, you get a 25% discount on all A. Stotts Academy courses. Fourth, you get access to our Facebook community to get to know guests and fellow listeners. And finally, you get my curated list of my favorite top 10 podcast episodes. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guests, Shinabu, Hindert. Shinabu, are you ready to rock? I am ready. Let's do it. Now, I'm going to introduce you to the audience. Sunabu Hinder is a certified financial planner professional, money expert, and creator of Empowered Planning, LLC. She spent the first half of her career working for some of the largest financial institutions in the United States, including Smith Barney and Fidelity Investments. As a financial advisor, she created personalized financial plans for high-net-worth individuals overseeing more than $350 million in client assets. Now, Shanabu has taken all her knowledge and created a simple, proven method for teaching personal finance. She's delivered over 500 live workshops covering a wide range of topics, from budgeting to estate planning. Her goal is to simplify the complex world of investing and empower women everywhere to reach financial freedom. Shanabu, take a moment and fill any further tidbits about your life.
0: Yeah, I am living in sunny San Diego. I have two children and really started Empowered Planning as I transitioned into motherhood for just a little bit more flexibility and a life conducive to kind of trying to do all these different things. So thank you so much for having me on here. It is my goal to really inspire other women to get more involved, ask more questions. And I think this is such a great platform and and a great way to introduce that to people.
1: Mm. And besides the obvious answer to this question, why women, because you're a woman, but I'm curious why women, besides the fact.
0: Well, if we look at just economic data women are going to, there's going to be this transfer of wealth that's happening with the baby boomer generation where women are going to be handling a lot of this wealth. And as I saw professionally with clients who their husbands would either pass away or they would get divorced later on in life, they were having these aha moments of like, wait a minute, I don't actually know what I'm doing. And how did I get to this point? And then when I would open up conversations with friends that were very career-driven women I was finding, well, wait a minute, no one's giving them this information either. So we have a generation a little bit older that doesn't have these resources. Then I'm turning around and my peer group doesn't have these resources. And it was really this light bulb to go. I I need to get more involved and speak louder and just share, share this message.
1: Exciting. One of the things I'll share with you is that many years ago, I wrote a book and I wrote it about how to start investing in the stock market now, a financial planner does different stuff than a financial analyst, so I'm a chartered financial analyst, cFA, and basically, what I know about is investing in the stock market. you know, I don't know a lot about the topics like budgeting, estate planning, tax planning. There's so many things that a certified financial planner knows about that someone like myself eh, it's not my area of expertise, but sure, I wrote that book, which I later turned into an online course, for five women. Cool. Those five women are my five nieces. And when each of them graduated high school, I gave them $3,000. I flew back to their high school graduation from Thailand, brought $3,000 in my pocket and helped them set up an account. In that case, they set it up at Vanguard. And I just told them, buy the VT fund that owns every stock in the world and just keep buying and never sell, no matter what (laughs) happens. No, don't ask me any questions just keep buying every single month <laughs> and what i later learned is that they didn't they actually had a lot of confusion and questions along the way and they didn't buy every single month and therefore they didn't accumulate as much so i thought i was being a pretty good uncle getting them started but i realized that i kind of missed that part of continually contributing and that's why in my course now like i have a facebook group and all that where i try to nudge people much more aggressively to hey make those contributions I just thought I'd share that because the other thing about women is that my mother lives with me here in Bangkok, Thailand. When my father passed away five years ago, we agreed that it would be best for my mom to live with me. And I thought that's great, great to be with mom. But what was interesting is when, and my father was a single earner family. My father worked for DuPont all of his life, You know, nothing fancy, just a good sales executive job. But when my mom arrived, I was able to sit down and go through her account that was being managed by my parents, but also the financial advisor we had in the US. And I basically said, congratulations, you've done it. You have enough money to never worry about money for the rest of your life.
0: And That's that amazing. is
1: where I want my nieces to be. And I want every woman to be at that point because chances are you are potentially going to, probability tells you you're going to outlive your husband. And so you need to have some knowledge of that. So I've got important women at the young age that are starting and a very important woman at the end of her life that has the comfort that, you know, is there. So anyways, that's my story and I'm excited to actually hear your story. So let me ask you this question. Now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and tell us your story.
0: Sure. I, I, this story is kind of me adjacent. So when I was working as a financial advisor back in 2007, you know, we're hitting the summer of 2007 and everything's good. You could literally throw a dart at the board and everybody was making money. So like working in that field at that time, everybody loved you, right? It was like your best friend, you're getting these good phone calls, everything's working out nicely. And then 2008 starts approaching and we're kind of getting hints that the market's not looking so hot, but as advisors, we're looking long-term, right? We don't want short-term headlines to dictate what we're telling our clients. We don't want to have knee-jerk reactions. So, you know, you kind of hear rumblings that banks are backing out of loans that they issued for residential properties. And you're like, well, that's, that's kind of funny. You know, it kind of has the seedling of doubt, but these rating agencies, even for bonds that were out there, everything still looked good on paper. There was just this kind of like eerie feeling that you have, but you get that all the time when you're investing, you always are second guessing what you're doing. So I remember I was going to lunch. I had appointments in the morning. I was typically meeting with four to five clients a day. And I went to lunch on my lunch break. I come back and the market had dropped so quickly so significantly that they had halted trading. Mm-hmm. And I'm going what the heck is going on? I just went out to go to lunch and now I'm coming back and this is happening. <clears throat> and it just started to plummet from there. So Lehman Brothers had gone under and there was just mayhem broke out. I worked for a very large financial company. We serviced a lot of the area. I was in Northern New Jersey at the time, just a stone's throw away from Manhattan. And a lot of our clients worked for Lehman Brothers. So the next, you know, oh gosh, I want to say three months or so, we just had so many people coming in lines out the door because there was also this credit issue that people were thinking, hey, am I not going to have access to my money at a financial institution? So there was this fear that was running around everywhere. So people were coming in, not necessarily to withdraw money, but they wanted to look at somebody in the face. They didn't mm-hmm. want to call somebody on the phone and they wanted to say, you're you're alive, you're here, this is a building, my money exists, and just to look at you. So you had the kind of rush of everybody else coming in but I had direct clients that worked for Lehman Brothers for 25 years for 30 years. And everything that they invested in is a more traditional way of investing, but buy what you know.
1: Invest mm. what you
0: know. Invest yep. what you're familiar with. And a lot and Lehman offered great company plans, stock options, all of these. Their bonds were highly rated. So when I was as a financial advisor previous to this 2008 crisis, having conversations with a client saying, Hey, you should really diversify. They're looking at me like, girl, you don't know anything. You're young. I've been at this for 25, 30 years. I made tons of money. This company has been great to me. And these are emotional stories because it's not just a stock to them. This is like, I was able to send my kids to private school because of what Lehman brothers did for me. I was able, I was the first person in my family to hit this kind of mark. I sent my kids to college. I'm going to retire in two years. I'm not going to take advice from this young person who's telling me to sell my stocks. And especially at that time too, if it's capital gains, you know, people are like, well, I'm not going to pay taxes just to spread out my right What are you talking about? So mm. Having these conversations every single day with people sitting across from now, I'm probably 25 years old, I'm sitting across from, you know, someone 55, 60 years old, and they're asking me, well, well, what is the balance? What do I have? And it was just devastating if you looked at what they had a month ago versus what they had. And then these were no longer financial planning conversations of diversify your risk. It was, do you have family? Who could you live with? how much longer, and then everybody was laid off. There was mm. a chance that they were going to get purchased by another bank. So there was this kind of influx <clears> in between. But when all the dust settled, when you were talking to people as a financial advisor who lost everything, it was, it was really intense. And I think that really it shook me at, at my very core.
1: Mm. Gosh, I remember that time very well. So let me ask you, what lessons did you learn?
0: to push harder as a financial advisor, that if I really believe in diversification, if I believe and there's a philosophy to push that onto people and not feel badly or to feel, you know, I enjoy financial planning because it's educating people and you're helping people, but there's a sales component of it. And so sometimes I would shy away to be like, well, I don't want to really sell this product if this person isn't into it. And then I really, at that time, realizing it's actually my responsibility to make sure that they're aware of definitely the upside, but also the impact if they don't listen. What could that Mm -hmm. look like?
1: Mm -hmm. That's such a, you know, a real lesson, because I know as a financial analyst, my job is to advise institutional clients around the world. And yeah, I mean, sometimes you don't want to push too hard, but other times when when you really have... You know when you really have a strong feeling or something, you know, and I think the client needs that, and you'd never want to be the person who the client says you should have told me,
0: right? Right,
1: you know, that's something you really want to make sure you don't. Now, maybe I'll share a few things that I took away from it. I wrote down three things as you were talking. The first one, I want to tell a story about my father. My father went to work for DuPont when he graduated with his PhD in chemistry, it was at the time plastics were really coming on. And that's what he was into all of his life. When he moved to North Carolina and started to work on retirement, he had a lot of DuPont stock, Mm, a huge amount of DuPont stock. And the financial advisor said, you've got to reduce this. And he really did not want to do that. I mean, he was really emotionally wedded to that. But that financial advisor slowly and steadily pushed on him, Until they started diversifying away. And and as my mom tells the story, she says that the financial advisor says, you know, imagine that DuPont stocks at 100. The financial advisor said, what would you do if that stock went to 10? And it just couldn't, he couldn't imagine it. My father couldn't imagine it. And, but my mother said, it happened. There was like this point where that stock collapsed massively. But the point is, is that the financial advisor stuck to his guns and he got my dad to, part with that and diversify away from that. So when that crash in the price at that time happened, it didn't impact them. And it's part of what made you know, my mom and dad able to have a really healthy and happy retirement. So I really think this is an important lesson and that's just a story of that in my own life. Also, the second thing I wrote down was like, what worked for you in the past may not always work for you in the future. And I've been really studying the 400 episodes to try to find commonalities. And one of the things that's very clear is that we get stuck in our ways and we, we, we naturally rely on what works in the past. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. I've been through this before. I don't know. And it's, it's yeah, a... I mean,
0: there's there's all of these studies with behavioral finance and it gets a little technical. So sometimes, you you know, as a customer, you can tune it out like, oh, I don't need all this data. But as a professional, when you look at it and you're living in it and you're working with it and you're teaching it, it's real. It's, it's real. And I try to communicate that if it's not a repeatable process, it's probably not a repeatable process. You know, mm. just to really help people understand that maybe you just got lucky, you know, and that's okay. Yeah. You take, take the win, but if you can't repeat it and teach someone to do what you did and how you did it, then let's just kind of count, count it as luck, take our yeah. earnings and, and, and keep going.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Well, that's another thing that many people don't realize is the underlying function of randomness and luck in the stock market in investing but the last thing I would just say is that I have like a strategy that I manage and people follow that strategy. And it's a global strategy. And one part of that strategy was to invest in a particular fund in Thailand that invests in global bonds, particularly US, but globally corporate and government bonds. And basically, when the about a year ago, when everything really started shaking up with COVID, that that bond started acting very strange. And it became Clear that that ETF, let's say, that was actually a fund in Thailand buying that ETF, that ETF started behaving very strangely and yields started rising and basically the price started falling. And we started worrying that, you know, there's going to be bankruptcies and all that. Now, what we didn't see was that, you know, of course, the US government, the Fed basically found a way to channel money to BlackRock and have BlackRock go and buy that. ETF or whatever you know, broad-based bond funds. But what happened was that the local, we, we were just worried enough about it that we decided let's switch out of that in one day. When we saw that movement, we said switch out of that and we're just going to put it in a Thai government bond fund, just bring it back out from the US and put it there. And so we made that move. The next day, that bond fund in Thailand got suspended by the fund management company because they weren't able to really ha- handle the volatility wow. that was happening in the ETF. And it took a while. Eventually they reinstated trading and people didn't lose it all thanks to the Fed buying out you know, the ETFs. But the end result was that we were able to save some, something just before. And that's the point of, you know, the reason why I raise it is that you as a financial planner have been through this experience. You know, number one, as you've said, be stronger with what you believe and what you wanna communicate. But also there's times that you have to act fast and that was an example. Anything you would add to those lessons that I learned from your story?
0: Hmm. The only other thing that I would add is to find a trusted partner, if that's just a family member or a financial professional, but not to internalize these ideas because it can, I love your show because it humanizes our mistakes and mm-hmm. we don't have to live in shame and we can talk about it. And on my end, there's something about being a financial professional where people gravitate towards you to tell you all of their wins. They just come and they're like, "Well, I bought this," and they're they're talking about all of these lofty amounts of money that they've made. But then they don't circle back, you know. So if if you're in touch and you're like, "All right, okay," last week Bob told me he bought, you know, X Y Z, hmm. and I know it kind of plummeted, and then you don't see them. They don't come, they don't come around and tell you that story and it's okay to make a mistake. And I think it's, it's part of learning and just to talk to somebody about it. So that way, you know, you're not internalizing it or trusting your gut, gut on these decisions.
1: Yeah. And that, that made me write down my next learning, which is to remind myself and the listeners, people love to talk about their winners and they do not talk about their losers and therefore not only does it make it a confusing situation for people who are talking to other people because they're thinking, geez, everybody's winning. Mm-hmm. But the second exactly. thing is it's hard for people to honestly evaluate what's going on. Now, before I ask you the next question, I want to, I want to highlight a quote. I may even add it into my script so that I use it every time because <laughs> okay. your story is one of observing at a young age other people's loss and then taking a lesson. And that reminds me, of the Otto von Bismarck quote, only a fool learns from his own mistakes. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others. So based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate?
0: To be really clear on the purpose of the money they're investing. What is the goal of that money? Get clear on it. And then you can feel comfortable with your investment strategy. But if someone were to come to me and say, I need this money in five years from now, I have a hundred percent of it in this one company stock. Is that a good idea? It's like, no, it's not. You probably have a lot of other things that you want to do. So just get really, really clear. What is the purpose? And then you can back into the investment strategy.
1: Great advice. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months?
0: Number one goal, I have an academy out there. It's called Empowered Academy to grow my reach for that. I have so much fun with it. So my goal is to spread it to a larger audience. So that would be- my Well, goal. what
1: about our listeners? Where should they go to get access to that and learn more about it?
0: Yeah, you can check out my website. It's www.empoweredplanning.com and the academy we are enrolling for September. So check it out.
1: Fantastic. And I'll put all that in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen, in case you're driving. So, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, reduce risk and increase return in your life. To do this, I've created our community at myworstinvestmentever.com. And I look forward to seeing you there. Shinabu, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of of A. Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status. For turning <laughs> your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment, do you have any parting words for the audience?
0: Parting words. If you are about to make an investment and don't understand it, just ask, 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 ask
1: until it makes sense. Fantastic. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts saying, I'll see you on the upside.